listeners, you are listening to Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. I am your host for tonight, Ray, flying solo, and in episode 34, I have got the steering wheel to the moon copter, and I am flying towards two reviews tonight. Uh, the first one is from the Hulk magazine, uh, issue 12, Embassy of Fear, as well as a continuation in our modern run of Houston and Finch's Volume 5, Issue 3, uh, which is Part 3 of The Bottom. So, grab your issues, sit back, relax, and get your conchu on. Yes, welcome back, loony listeners. Um, welcome back to the Into the Night podcast. Uh, you're with your host, Ray, one half or one third of the High Priests of Conchu. Um, I absconded the moon copter tonight and I have flown away. So um, Connor, unfortunately, uh, won't be with us tonight, um, but that's okay. I have got plenty to talk about for these two comic book issues that we're going to look at. And uh, it's been a while since we have kind of looked at our classic and modern runs. Uh, we've had a fantastic um fantastic time looking at the Damnation reviews. Um, so as many of you probably know, um, we're part of an epic podcast crossover between the likes of Sons of the Dragon, the Immortal Iron Fist podcast, uh, Defenders TV podcast, and Inner Demons, a Ghost Rider podcast. So we've been covering um, a couple of the issues there. Um, but this week we kind of return to our old format, and that is um, a classic run. So what we're doing is we generally chart the appearance of Moon Knight um, from basically go to woe. So we've started at the very beginning, back in 1975, and uh, we are currently um, up to the, the Rampaging Hulk magazine which was, I think, in 1978. Um, I'll have to check that. Um, it will be all featured in the bare bones. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're kind of charting his course from, from the beginning, as well as looking at, um, just to kind of break it up, uh, a modern run as well. So we have chosen uh, a very popular one amongst loonies. We've chosen um, Houston and Finch's Volume 5, Moon Knight Run, and uh, we're into part three now of uh, The Bottom, which is the first story arc uh, for the previous parts. I guess you can um, just check back on our uh, previous episodes. Uh, they're in there somewhere. Um, but yeah, looking forward to talking about these two comics for you. So hopefully you've got a copy of these uh, in front of you or you have recently read them. Um, yeah, and, and we'll just go through it together. Um, but before we do any of that, I guess we have uh, some news. So um, charting the, well, actually going through the internet over the last week, uh, been looking for any Moon Knight news. Uh, not too much as usual. Uh, there was a couple of standout ones. Uh, the first one uh, is... Um, there has been a preview of the latest Moon Knight run, which is Volume 9, Issue 193, uh, and that's by Max Bemis and Jason Burrows. Uh, that will be out um, this Wednesday, which will be the, uh, I'm assuming it's the 28th of March, 
Um, so that's coming out this week. But um, on Twitter, one of my uh, my deep throat contacts there <laughs> uh, has passed me on some of the preview pages. So I posted that up in our Facebook group um, in the um, kind of in the in the post section. So um, there is a big spoiler alert there if you want to have a little sneak peek. Um, I unfortunately can't speak much on it because I have decided to not look at the pages myself, other than you know quickly posting it up there. I know a few of the loonies have um, have had a look, uh, but yeah. Anyway, we're only a couple of days away from that. Um, so if you want to go check it out, um, please by all means uh, just look up the post I put up on our Facebook group. Uh, apart from that news. We have a couple of other little bits here. Uh, this article kind of featured in a lot of uh, websites, and it seemed to make quite a bit bit of news. And it was quite a um, an exciting bit of news as well. We have that Stephen Esther Knight, who was the producer um, and the showrunner, actually, of Daredevil on Netflix season one. He actually um, voiced some interest in doing a Moon Knight TV show. So, although I'm sure this has got all the loonies kind of salivating at, you know, at, at the mouth, foaming at the mouth, um, unfortunately, he did add that with a disclaimer that, um, you know, if he had the time, he'd be able to do it, but his schedule is chock-a-blocks. So, um, you know, it's... I think it would be, be fair to say that, you know, it would be a something on his wish list rather than something that is actually in production. But, um, yeah, m- myself, I think he would do a great job um, being a showrunner for Moon Knight. I mean, he did a, a stellar, um, stellar job on Daredevil Season 1, which, you know, let's face it, introduced um, the Netflix Marvel, I guess, corner of the universe and that's proven to be very successful um, especially what we see now recently with the um, the likes of the Punisher show which had come out and uh, most recently Jessica Jones season two which seems to be getting seems to be getting favorable reviews um, I've I've finished the the season I um, it was a bit more of a slower burn for me I, I tried to space out the shows um, the episodes, uh, but yeah, no, I enjoyed it at the end. I, I thought it was a very, it's a very different show from all the others. And I think that's what kind of keeps these Netflix shows kind of fresh. So, uh, the same could be said for the recent Punisher, um, show on Netflix as well. It was very different from, uh, the likes of your, your Iron Fist and your Daredevils and your Luke Cages. Um, so yeah, Jessica Jones kind of continued that trend with season two. Um, but yeah, having said that, uh, yeah, Stephen Stephen Denight would be fantastic as a um, as a showrunner for Moon Knight. Uh, there's been a lot of also discussions just within the Looney community as well as to how to tackle a Moon Knight show. Um, and they've been great ideas, you know, from the likes of having, you know, three or four different actors play, um, Mark Spector slash Moon Knight slash Jake Lockley slash Stephen Grant, um, as, as a take, or you have, uh, you really play with that, that whole mental aspect of, of how, 
potentially, I guess, uh, could be like a sixth sense thing that you you think that these are four characters, but you find out at the end that it's just the one. Or um, I, I'd like to think um, there'd be a great uh, opportunity for a horror element to to Moon Knight. I mean, I know they've kind of swung that with the upcoming New Mutants um, film. Uh, which they've also done in the the latest New Mutants Dead Souls limited series uh, comic books uh, released just recently, uh, but yeah, I can see Moon Knight being, um, especially with his his um, his costume, which which is uh, the closest thing to a comic book superhero costume. I think you'd have to say out of all the the five uh, Marvel characters showcased on Netflix at the moment. I mean, apart from Iron Fist, which they've consciously veered away from his, um, uh, how does, uh, John from the Defenders TV podcast, the, uh, the nose picking, you know, high collars, <laughs> apart from that and his, his mask, um, which they've veered away from, um, Daredevil's kind of the closest thing, but even that is, is very much kind of like street gear as well, uh, so, uh, I think by introducing a horror element to to Moon Knight, you can probably get away with, uh, you know, his kind of spectral kind of look and his uh, his flowing cape and all. But anyway, so uh, so that was um, big news actually this week. Uh, in it, basically, Stephen Esther Knight saying, yeah, it would be pretty cool to <laughs> to do a show on Moon Knight, uh, as uh, whether or not that's actually going to become a reality. Uh, with Stephen S. Denight. Um who knows? But uh, you know, we can only dream. <laughs> uh, next on our news item, I saw this actually. I only saw this today, and I thought this was pretty cool. Um, Bill Sinkevich, uh, he gets an IDW artifact edition showcasing his classic Marvel runs uh, on the likes of New Mutants, Moon Knight, and Elektra. So anyway, this is a a pretty cool um, thing to have on the shelf for any any um, any fanatical Moon Knight fans, uh, or or just um, Bill Sinkovich fans. Actually, his art's just just amazing. So um, it actually goes beyond his work in Moon Knight. But anyway, this uh, this new hardcover edition, which is 160 pages, and it's got here uh, 12 inches by 17 inches. Uh, it's 125, I'm assuming, US dollars. Um, and, uh, it says here BW, so I'm wondering if that is, if that means it's all in black and white. Um, I hope not, because, uh, I mean, his art's great with, without colour or with colour, but, um, they previewed this web, um, sorry, this website previewed, uh, I believe it's probably the front cover. Uh, which shows the new mutants and um, just uh, my internet is not working at the moment, but um, it's yeah, it's it's a great cover. Um, it shows the new mutants in their uh, classic garb. Uh, let me just pull it up here. I've got a copy of it. Um, yeah, it's called Bill Bill Sink. Kavich's Mutants and Moon Knight. So we, you'll even have Moon Knight on the title there, which is pretty cool. And it's got uh, what looks like to be the new mutants. Uh, I can see Wolfsbane, Magic. Um, I think it's Talisman. 
I'm not sure if that's her name. Uh, Cannonball and a blah, 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 blah. She could be Boom Boom. I really don't know. And it looks like a, either a monster or warlock um, in the background. But anyway, it's um, that's going to be released soon. And it is definitely something worth uh, pursuing if you have an extra $125. So um, I'll read out also the, the little blurb for it. So it says, Bill thank you, uh, Bill." Sinkevich is a modern master having worked on some of Marvel's most iconic comics of the 1980s, Moon Knight, The New Mutants, Elektra, Assassin, and much more. His unique style is unreplicable, yet so many artists have been inspired to emulate him. This collection is filled with some of his finest covers, pin-ups, and exceptional pages. All have been meticulously scanned from the original art, and reproduced to the exacting artist's edition standards that have won IDW Publishing five highly coveted Eisner Awards to date. So, um, yeah, so I'm not sure what that BW means. Um, it's, yeah, I reckon it's most likely not black and white. It's, um, it's something else. But, uh, yeah, there you have it. So, uh, release date, I'm not too sure, but, um, I will find out and I'll put in the show notes for you all uh, and we only have a last couple of um, news items which kind of conveniently ties into our podcast crossover so uh, this past week as well because I am recording on a Monday night uh, the past week uh, Damnation 3 was released um, so, uh, number three of the core books, uh, written by Donny Cates, uh, that was released as well as a Damnation tie-in, uh, which was Iron Fist number 78. Now, um, Moon Knight, of course, um, for those that are following the event, uh, is featured, uh, featured in Damnation. I was about to say heavily featured, but, uh, I'd be, I'd be kind of leading you astray if I said that. Uh, but he is featured in Damnation. So uh, he's in Damnation 3. And uh, and that will be actually reviewed by our good mates, Chris and Brian from Inner Demons, a Ghost Rider podcast. So um, highly recommend if you're, if you're listening to this podcast um, and this is sort of your jam, then... Uh, yeah, be sure to check out Inner Demons, a Ghost Rider podcast. They are... Um, very cool, and of course they cover a very cool character. Um, but yeah, they'll be covering Damnation Three, so we're all all um, actually looking forward to that as well. I know um, all the hosts from all the podcasts uh, in this podcast crossover are, are pretty keen to listen to the reviews um, from each other, um, and uh, I'm I'm definitely in the same boat with that. Um, also, as well as I mentioned, there's a Damnation tie-in. Uh, so that's Iron Fist 78, and that will be reviewed by none other than Connor, Carl, and Rebecca from the Sons of the Dragon, the Immortal Iron Fist podcast. So um, I've got both of them myself, um, and look, Moon Knight isn't in the Iron Fist issue 78, but I thought I'd just throw it in there anyway because it is a, a Damnation tie-in. Um, so if, again, like if you're following the event, um, and you want to, you know, tick things off your checklist, uh, it's definitely one. 
Uh, again, look, uh, I'm not going to get into the reviews for both of them because I'm sure um, Sons of the Dragon and Inner Demons will do a fantastic job with that. I uh, just want to say quickly, um, I read both of them. Um, I again, I think I really, I'm really enjoying more the um, the tie-in books than the core book itself. So. Um, if anything, though, the issue three does ramp up a bit, um, so no spoilers. You'll you'll have to listen to the Ghost Rider podcast. So I enjoyed um, I enjoyed how that ramped up, but we've only got one more of the cool books left to go. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they wrap that up. So, loonies, hang on. Let me just uh, let me just grab a bit of this this moon water. That's better. All right, loonies. So um, that's pretty much the news for this week. Uh, and again, as always, I'll um, I'll post this up uh, as show notes um, for you to peruse at your own discretion. Now, I think without any any further ado, I think it's time for me to chuck this thing in overdrive and go over the moon. Yes, so we are over the moon here, which um, on our ITK podcast uh, means that we do our comic book reviews. And as mentioned many times before, we are returning to our normal format for this episode. Uh, we'll be doing our classic and um, our modern run. So our um, our first book that we'll be covering, as mentioned before, was um, will be the Hulk magazine, issue 12. Uh, and that was written in 1978, but before I actually, why am I saying this, you know? <laughs> what I wanted to mention as well, Loonies, is that, um, so a very, very honoured to have uh, yet another guest, well, guest narrators for, to do our bare bones for Over the Moon. Um, so our bare bones will be the synopses for these comics, um, and we're so glad to have uh, a couple of the hosts from the Atalan Rising podcast. So I'm not sure if you've been listening to this, Loonies, but um, yeah, another character or characters-based podcast. The Atalan Rising podcast um, focuses on all the Inhumans, basically, uh, and how they feature in the in the comic book realm, but also not that long ago on um, on the on the big screen slash small screen, um, referring to the IMAX release of the Inhumans uh, from the ABC network, um, and and generally they also interview a lot of of really cool creators. Uh, their latest episode, I think, featured Daniel Kibblesmith, who is one of my, um, at the moment, one of my favourite writers. Uh, basically, I know him more from the Valiant um, publishers uh, and comics, um, but he uh, he also has written or is writing the current um, issue of Lockjaw, amongst other things. So anyway, we have um, we have both the Doc and Adam from the Atalan Rising podcast. Uh, they've been so gracious as to do the bare bones for us. So. Um, what I'll do is that I think I will pass it on to Doc to give us the first bare bones. Take it away, Doc. 
All right, welcome to Into the Night. I'm uh, your guest, uh, Doc, from the Adelan Rising podcast, and today I'll be reviewing uh, the Moon Knight story, Embassy of Fear, which uh, appeared in Hulk Magazine, Volume 1, Number 12, uh, written by Doug Moek, uh, with art by Keith Pollard, Frank Boy, Gia Kusha, Mike Esposito, and edited by Rick Marshall. So in this story, Moon Knight crashes into the Luxor mansion. Just as Fenton Crane threatens to kill Marlene, Joel Luxor, the owner of the mansion, and Paul Haas, who was a writer, have been murdered over what seems to be the house statuette. Uh, Fenton Crane, insane with ambition, waves a blunderbuss, de- blunderbuss, demanding to know where the statuette is hidden. Moon Knight hurls the Tresheon at Crane, and it finds its mark, with the Tresheon lodging the trigger. Uh, Moon Knight springs into action, physically outmatched and shaken by the fists of Kushu. Crane grabs anything close and lashes onto, onto a jade idol, which he attempts to bludgeon Moon Knight with. The jade idol is blocked and tossed over to Marlene, whilst Moonlight finishes Crane off with a well-placed kick. With the fracas over, Moon Knight retrieves the Jade Idol from Marlene and explains to Polos, the slain writer, uh, had encountered his manuscript with puns, and in his code, he explains the Horus statuette is in fact within the Jade Idol. Oh, okay. Moon Knight cracks open the idol, but instead of finding Horus, both he and Marlene see a business card of one Alphonse Lerol, furthering the mystery of the house statuette. Moon Knight and Marlene then agree to investigate the UN ambassador Alphonse Laurent, but this time as Steve Grant. Okay, so Moon Knight uses his Steve Grant identity. Marlene is able to convince Steve Grant's UN connections to have Stephen and Marlene invited to the next party where Laurent appears on the guest list. Before long, they find themselves at the French embassy at a lavish gathering. After the two-spot lateral, a quick plan is made, beginning with Marlene, Marlene skillfully catching the eye of lateral. Oh, so she uses her feminine wiles. They soon engage in some light banter, allowing lateral to drop his guard. With the groundwork set, Stephen Grant then enacts the next part of their plan and interrupts the two, allowing Marlene to introduce Grant to lateral. Grant Bates Laroe, feigning interest in wanting to buy the Horus statuette, and Laroe's greed gets the better of him. He invites Grant to the Chilean, Chilean embassy at midnight to show him the statuette. Spotting a few of Laroe's colleagues and recognizing them as less suited, digni- as suited dignitaries, but more like Granilla. Oh, okay. They don't, they, they're, they're made up to be dignitaries, but they look more like gorillas in suits. Um, Grant decides to investigate the Chilean embassy before meeting with Laurel. He takes leave of the party and dons the jet and silver costume of Moon Knight. Arriving at the Chilean embassy, Moon Knight makes his way towards the heavily guarded building, skillfully evading a pack of guard dogs and patrolmen peppering through the estate. He enters the building and shortly after finds Laurel in a room on the phone. As Moon Knight listens in the shadows, Laro's interest intent in is nefarious to say the least. He is suspicious of Stephen Grant and so plans to have him beaten and roughed up for his troubles. Hearing all he needs to hear and speculating whether Laro is in cahoots with terrorists, Moon Knight slips 
away outside. It's almost midnight, and he's still to meet with Ro. Moon Knight would need to change out of his costume soon. Leaving proves even harder than breaking in. The embassy, uh, leaving the embassy proves harder than breaking in, as Moon Knight is faced with a group of armed, uniform, and plainclothes men intent on stopping him. Moon Knight's superior fighting skills are on the show again as he beats no less than seven of his attackers with his strength, agility, and a large dollop of quips. Laurel catches wind of the melee occurring outside as he dashes out to see what's going on. He sees all of his men lying unconscious and useless. Timing is everything as in that instant, Steve Grant appears right on time for their midnight meeting. Oh, okay. Still startled by what he sees, Laurel is almost left speechless as Grant proposes that he have the courier of his choice to bring the money over to Laurel and his terrorist friends. Laurel can only stutter out questions. Terrorist? What are you talking about? What carrier? Who? Grant nods towards a crescent dart lodged into a nearby tree. With a grin, Grant says, Surely you must have heard of him. His name is Moon Knight. And that's where the story ends to be continued in the next installment. How exciting. Thank you. Thank you so much, Doc. That was Doc from Atalan Rising, um, which is basically the Inhumans podcast. Uh, also, the Inhumans um, podcast, Atalan Rising, uh, is a member of The Collective, um, and some of you may know or may have noticed that we do have the collective moniker on, at the bottom of our, um, our blog sites and our pages. Uh, basically, we are part of a, it's a an informal kind of podcast network. It's a it's a really nice repository for for um, podcasts with similar um, similar passions and 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 similar likes. Um, so we have the likes of the Atlan Rising podcast on there. Uh, Adam's been instrumental in in um, getting us all together. So thank you so much, Adam. But um, yeah, the Atlan Rising podcast, as well as um, the podcasts uh, that are doing the Damnation series um, with us, um, Sons of the Dragon, Inner Demons, Defenders TV podcast, uh, plus a slew of others as well. Uh, there's a whole list of them, um, and. Yeah, we like to bounce ideas off each other. I know we um we kind of ask each other questions, how to improve the podcast, you know, what what kind of segments we can do, uh, that sort of thing. And and I find it really helpful actually um, to to have a nice forum and a bunch of really nice people uh, um, to actually just share ideas. So uh, yeah, thank you, Ad. Um, sorry, Doc. Um, and yeah, the Adelaide Rising uh, podcast. But I am getting sidetracked. Um, that was a fantastic bare bones reading from Doc. And uh, for those of you that don't usually listen, um, what we do for our over the moon comic book reviews, we have a bare bones which Doc has just um, just narrated, and that's the synopsis of the comic book issue that we're looking at. Um, we'll also then look at uh, four main aspects. So four aspects, um, referencing the uh, four aspects of Konshu, I guess. Um, so we have four main aspects, uh, which are the four main themes or the main points to the to the issue, um, followed by any particular notes, which are basically just observations um, 
or you know just uh, nice funny references or interesting references um, and then what I'll do is that I'll give it a, I'll give it our I was about to say our patented but it's not really I'll give it our um, our crescent dart ratings out of five so there you go um, let's get into it um, so as mentioned in the bare bones, uh, we've got quite an exciting issue here, and the first, uh, I guess, the first aspect that I thought was quite interesting in this issue was the use of the Stephen Grant persona. So, uh, again, here by Doug Mensch, we have more of a focus on Stephen Grant, um, and of course, Moon Knight when he's dressed up in his Moon Knight costume. But uh, it's Stephen Grant that actually um, actually drives the story along and, and actually drives uh, Mark Spector's investigation into trying to find the Horace statue, which has eluded him for a while, um, and, uh, yeah, try to get to the... Um, try to get to the source of, I guess, what all this how all this makes sense basically there are a lot of moving parts to this story by Doug Mensch um, a lot of characters to kind of uh, remember and there's kind of uh, how can I say it um, there's kind of uh, a lot of twists and turns in it so uh, the first uh, few parts to this were kind of confusing I thought because you were trying to find out, say, who the assassin worked for, he kind of didn't work for who you thought, um, but then who had the, the jade idol, who has the horror statue, it all gets a bit kind of convoluted with all these characters. Um, so, anyway, um, with this issue, things start to get a lot clearer, we're introduced to another character as well, but... Um, Thankfully, we finally, we do finally see where the horror statue is. Uh, so that's kind of, sol it kind of solves that mystery. Um, and, you know, after reading it a few times and the previous parts a few times as well, you start to put the pieces of the puzzle together and how everyone fits in. Like, you know, like, like Pole House, the, the reporter. Um, I mean, the way that the story is structured, you know, he writes this, uh, this article or, or this encrypted message which talks of the Jade Idol. And, and we'll get on to the next um, aspect as well. Uh, the Jade Idol is actually, a, um, is actually a red herring in the sense, in the sense that we're led to believe that the horror statue is within the Jade Idol. Well, that's what Moon Knight thinks. Um, and again, Doug Mensch gives us another twist in which uh, we see relatively early on, I guess the first act of this issue, we see when, uh, when Moon Knight attacks... Um, uh, what's his name? Fenton Crane, a very cool name. When he attacks him um, because he shot Marlene, uh, we see Moon Knight easily overcome Fenton Crane, um, and and in their kind of tussle, um, Moon Knight gets hold of the Jade Idol, which is exactly what he's looking for, you know, which is good. Um, and so when he grabs it off Fenton Crane, he throws it to Marlene to to keep for safekeeping, and he dispatches with with Crane. Um, yeah, so we get it early on that, that Moon Knight, um, finally claims the Jade Idol. But then what we see, as, as mentioned, um, Mark expects to crack open the Jade Idol 
And in it, he expects, I think he's expecting to see Horace in it, uh, Horace statue. But there's nothing in there but um, a, a calling card of Alphonse Leroux. So again, we get another character here um, of Alphonse Leroux. And uh, I remember when I first was reading this, I was kind of at the stage of, oh gosh, you know, how much deeper down the rabbit hole do we have to go to, to figure this whole mystery out? But thankfully later on, you know, it is kind of... Um, is kind of tied up in a sense. So um, I guess going back to um, to my first aspect about the use of the Stephen Grant persona, we see that um, that Mensch uses Stephen Grant uh, quite well to actually infiltrate um, and to track down Alphonse Leroux. Uh, so what he does is that he uses his, um, I guess, hoity-toity, um, higher, yeah, upper-class kind of connections to get his way into a uh, a French embassy, um, I guess, shindig or party. And uh, he finds out that Alphonse Leroux will be there. So he will be able to, um, I guess, question and, and I guess find out where the horror statue is, which is what we've been looking for from the, from the get-go, right? So from the last two issues till now. And this kind of leads me also into uh, my my third aspect. I'm kind of going through them pretty quickly. So the first one was the Stephen Grant persona. The second one was, was the Jade Idol being a bit of a red herring and, and uh, the introduction of Alphonse Leroux, his calling card in the Jade Idol. And the third one I wanted to mention is, um, and I found this pretty cool, is uh, the tag team. I, I guess the tag team between Stephen Grant and Marlene. Um, We've seen this before, albeit in a later issue. I mean, this could very much be the first iteration, but I love it how um, Stephen Grant slash Mark Spector and Marlene work together when they're when they're on a job or on a case, and uh, they seem to do it quite well, uh, regardless of the of the situation. So, in this situation, they go to the French embassy on the Thursday night, which is a I don't know what it is. It's like a gala event or what have you. So there's um, uh, Alphonse Leroux, who happens to be the, the Chilean ambassador. Um, so uh, he's there, plus uh, a whole lot of, uh, you know, upper class or, or very important people. In one of the uh, page 45 of the comic, there you see a um, an establishing shot of, of the French embassy party, and you see Mark and Marlene in the centre, uh, Mark, funnily enough, has blonde hair there. there there's been some problems. Uh, a couple of times Mark uh, is depicted with blonde hair. But anyway, they're at the uh, this uh, very fancy party and you, you see people with lavish necklaces and evening gowns and you see even a, a fellow there at the um, foreground. Looks like he's some sort of military um, person. with. A, he's got all the regalia there. So, um, so anyway, so Mark... Oh, sorry, Stephen Grant and Marlene... Um, are at this party and they, they do their tag team. What I was referencing before as well was that um, we did a, a an over-the-moon comic book review on... It was a Mike Benson story um, with art by um, Mike Diodato Jr. And it was that one shot with Mark, um, with Moon Knight fighting Jack Russell, um, a werewolf. And anyway, in that scenario, um, 
I believe it was Mark, or it could have well been uh, Stephen as well. Um, they actually go to a bar called the Lupine, and uh, they do their tag team there, their investigative work. Um, so that kind of reminded me of this situation here, where um, where they do really do work well. I mean, Marlene uses her her feminine wiles, I guess, to to grab the attention of um, of Alphonse Larue. Uh, she even actually uses her her injury, which um, she has an arm in a in a sling, um, after she was shot by Fenton Crane at the uh, at the end of the previous issue. Uh, she even uses her sling as a uh, as a tool to actually grab Alphonse Leroux's uh, attention. Anyway, so she's um, picking it up, you know, some punch, and uh, she clumsily, you know, drops it, and they get to talking. And so she kind of butters him up, so to speak. Um, and when he's kind of guards down, she introduces him to Stephen Grant. Um, so by that way, they kind of, they both kind of. Um, zero in on their target and anyway uh so that's uh you know that's that's great how they they really team up and and there's another example of it as well you see to a lesser extent at the beginning of the book um even though marlene is injured and moon knight's fighting fenton crane you see she's still there capable enough to help out to to hold on to the jade idol as moon knight um throws it at her to keep as as he finishes off fenton crane uh yeah, so um, so yeah, I, I really do like the tag team between Stephen Grant and Marlene. Uh, the final um, final aspect, which I I would you know say stood out in this uh, issue would be, I guess, the main action scene, the main fight scene, and uh, it's kind of I don't know, it's it's very much like a, a TV show. Or, or, one, or you know those classic movies where um, you get the big fight scene at the end. You know uh, there is one at the beginning when he fights um, when he fights Fenton Crane just one on one, but you get Moon Knight actually infiltrating. Um, he infiltrates the. Where's he going again? Uh, he goes to. Uh, so anyway, so Stephen Grant and um, and Alphonse Leroux. They talk, and as mentioned, um, they decide to meet at midnight at this other place where um, they can make their deal, basically where Leroux can sell the horror statue. So, um, so this is all leading towards a, this is like the third act, right? And and uh, so Moon Knight kind of scales the the high wall, and uh, it's really cool here. So this is where it kind of all starts off. He um, as he goes towards the building to meet up. Uh, or, or to check out where the horror statue is. He's greeted with a pack of dogs, like guard dogs. Uh, you know, it's quite, um, it's quite amusing here. So the dogs all kind of, you know, they're well trained and strong. They kind of lunge at him, but he grabs one by the tail and he, and he kind of swings it around and hits the other dog. It actually reminds me of, um, <laughs> of the latest issue or the second to la- last issue of the Bemis and Burroughs, um, Run volume nine where where there, there was that great scene on the on the ship, and Moon Knight's fighting all those thugs, and he actually uh, one of the thugs comes at him and he grabs her leg and he and he swings her into the the other the other thugs. Um, yeah, it seems to be a, a technique of his, um, but he does it to these dogs. 
Uh, anyway, so the dogs try, they, you know, they, they recover quickly and give chase. Um, and he finds himself stuck up in a tree. And uh, he manages to um, distract them or deter them. And he escapes there. But it's that's not where it ends, obviously. He goes into the building and um, and then the fight is on as he kind of makes his way out, actually. And again, we see him, uh, Moon Knight, fighting way above his means, right? So he's um, he's got up to, I count, up to seven guys. Um, again, similar to, I believe it was the Spectacular Spider-Man issue that we recently reviewed. I think it was... Issue 22, um, well, there have been a, a few issues where he's fought, you know, up to at least seven guys, uh, and he's always come on top. So, you know, Moonlight's a, a pretty ba- badass uh, when he can, you know, take down, and they're armed as well. You know, a few of them are security guards, uh, a couple of them are thugs with guns as well, um, but he makes, you know, short work of all of them. So... Um, that was a whole heap of fun, I thought as well. And you also get one panel actually shows his dexterity, which is that um, the great technique in in comic book art where you see a, a path of his body movements. So you see like four versions of Moon Knight as he jumps and kind of somersaults, somersaults and then leaps. Um, yeah, and uh, so yeah, that, I mean those for me those were the four main aspects um, of it. And uh, as the synopsis said, uh, it, it ends with with Stephen Grant uh, or Moon Knight changing quickly into Stephen Grant before um, Alphonse Leroux knows what's happened and he sees his dogs um, uh, kind of cornered behind in a cage and he sees all his all his men unconscious on the ground uh, and yeah and in walks Stephen Grant uh, in his tuxedo um, and he basically. Um, has a proposition for Alphonse Leroux, and he says, look, you know... Um, and he actually is a bit cheeky here as well. He actually um, lets on that he knows a bit... M- he knows a lot more than uh, than what Alphonse Leroux thought he did. And he references, you know, your terrorist friends, and uh, look, I'll, I'll give you half a million dollars for the horror statue um, if you allow me to pick a courier to pick up the horror statue. And uh, the courier is none other than, of course, Moon Knight. So... Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it was a, it was a pretty tight issue. Um, before we go into Crescent Dart ratings, I have, uh, just a few quick little notes here from this issue, which I thought was, was, uh, you know, just worth mentioning. So the first one was, um, his moon copter is, is featured again. So we see a lot of, uh, you know, the typical moon night traits here. So we see the moon copter, we see Frenchie, um, you know, unfurl the, the rope ladder for, for Marlene and Moon Knight. So, uh, that's very much still in the Moon Knight lore. Uh, what I did like as well is that we get another little uh, showcase of, uh, Moon Knight's underwater entrance into his, uh, into Mark Spector's bedroom, which I think is hilarious because, um, you know, I think it's, a, it's a pretty cool idea, but, you know, looking back now, it's, it's, uh, it's a little corny having, you know, having a pool entrance into your, um, yeah, into your, um, into your bedroom. But there you go. That's how, that's how rich he is, I guess. Um, also as well, I wanted to mention in the notes, the use of Moon Knight's, um, gadgets and his, his weapons were done really well in this issue. Uh, he uses his truncheon 
at the very start when he's fighting Fenton Crane and um, he actually throws it and again it shows off his skill he he throws it at um, Fenton's uh, what is it uh, musket or, or blunderbuss and it uh, actually um, lodges into the um, into the not the trigger but the uh, oh I can't I can't think of the word uh, into the thing that actually um, forces the gun to shoot <laughs> um, yeah the pin or something anyway uh, so he uses his truncheon for that um, which is pretty cool and uh, his crescent dart um, in this issue was really cool it was done uh, he was chased by the dogs he's up in a tree so how does he kind of um, how do they lose his scent he, he chucks a crescent dart which has his scent on it um, onto an adjacent tree and the dogs follow that and that's how he was man that's how he manages to corral the dogs into that um uh, seemed to be like a caged area there so uh yeah so really really good use of his his weapons in this issue as well um a few other notes here i've got uh he still has um well, actually this is weird he still has his, I was about to say, he still has his classic Moon Knight costume, but I've just turned a few pages here, because at first I thought that those, the cape, um, was connected to his wrists, which are a very old, um, iteration of his costume, uh, and it seemed like that when he was flying away from, yeah, when he's flying away from, um, the moon copter, and also when he dives into his underwater entrance into his bedroom, you see very much how his costume is connected to his wrists. Um, oh, also, yeah, and silly, silly of me. Of course, um, Moon Knight also does reference that Marlene uh, has actually made him a new cape. So we actually see, this is uh, one of the first issues we see where he transitions, I guess, from his old costume, which had the the cape connected to his wrists, and the second half of the um, of the issue shows him with his new, I guess, traditional um, cape, which uh, yeah is you know just just flowing off the back. Um, so, funnily enough, as well, I'm just looking at some of the pictures. It does seem as well he's got a collar um, attached to his cape slash hood so that's a, a small little detail which i think drops off later on um in the moon knight volumes but yeah his uh, his costume changes um from from the first half to the second half um yeah I, I very much prefer the the standard cape rather than the um the cape on the wrists yeah, it just it just looks i don't know to me it just looks like a huge blouse but anyway that's just me that's just my perspective on on it. Um, yeah, and uh, a couple of other little things. Sign of the times here. I got as notes. Uh, Stephen Grant slash Mark Spector says to Marlene, "Now be a good little personal secretary and follow up on something." And I thought, well, okay. Um, back in the days, you probably could get away with that. Um, now, not so much. Um, but also touche because Marlene then refers to to Moon Knight as a schizo darling. So again, not exactly PC, 
But uh, again, we're dealing with 1978 here, so uh, just funny little references to the sign of the times. Okay, loonies, I think it will be time to give um, a Crescent Art rating for this. Now, look, as I mentioned before, um, the story to this whole arc at the back of um, of the Hulk magazine, uh, Doug Mensch really, he does ride it up to the nth degree. Like, he just chucks a lot of characters in there. There are massive twists here and there to the point where you actually, well, for me, you kind of lose track a little of who's who because um, these names you have to remember to minor characters. You know, it's not like you have to remember Moon Knight and Daredevil and Punisher. There are like things like, you know, Alphonse Leroux, Fenton Crane, Jimmy Pullhouse, um... There are a few others as well, but yeah, you have to kind of remember who they are. You know, who's the reporter? Who's the um, curator? Joel Luxer, who's he? Oh, he's a millionaire. So there are a lot of moving parts to it. Um, but I found this issue to be a lot more satisfactory uh, in the sense that um, it was well paced. Uh, like you have, it was broken up well. So you have um, a nice action scene at the beginning. I guess the beats are really good. You have um, you have enough of Moon Knight in his costume as well, uh, but you also have uh, you know Stephen Grant and Marlene working their magic, um, you know, at a costume. Um, then you have the the main fight scene um, at the end, which was pretty cool. Uh, albeit you know Moon Knight isn't fighting super villains or anything like that. Um, it is still fun to see him flip around and punch people. Um, and you, you actually get closure to Horace because it was doing my head in, really. Uh, the Jade Idol and uh, and Horace, you know, it just kept on twisting and turning. So when he broke the Jade Idol, it wasn't in there. I just remember thinking, oh, God. But finally, when we saw the Horace statue in the possession of Alphonse Leroux, um, that was kind of kind of like, yes, finally, we're getting there. And uh, and I, I love the end bit where where Stephen Grant kind of cheekily um, uh, lets on to Alphonse Leroux that he knows that he's not the most upstanding guy. You know, you, you can be the Chilean ambassador, but that doesn't mean that you're not corrupt. Um, so, yeah, uh, pretty good issue. I would give it... Um, look, I typically give four for an enjoyable, solid read. Uh, wouldn't be up there. I'd say, oh, I'd say three and a half, three and a half crescent darts out of five for this one. So it was pretty decent. Um, yeah, I, uh, oh, I don't know. Like, you, you know, I don't know if you, if this has sold any of you loonies who haven't read it to, to go and want to read it. Um, if you want to read it, uh, to, as a historical thing to kind of put Moon Knight in, um, in context back in the seventies, uh, if you want to see how he his his costume evolves, uh, by all means check it out. The art is the art is actually really enjoyable to to look at as well. Keith Pollard on art, and uh, and the inkers do a really good job. So uh, there's nothing totally nothing wrong with the art. Uh, a couple of lapses in color there with with uh, Mark Spector becoming blonde, but uh, you know, just they're just minor things. So three and a half for um. For that one, the Hulk Magazine issue 12. Okay, loonies, we are on to our second review here. 
Um, and what we have here now is our modern run. And I'd like to throw it to one of the other guys, Adam, from Atalan Rising, the Inhumans podcast. And uh, he has the bare bones for... Ah, oh, this is a treat. We've got Moon Knight, Volume 5, Issue 3. So please, Adam, can you take it away? Hi, I'm Adam. I'm also from the Atalan Rising podcast. And this issue of Moon Knight comes from Volume 5, Issue 3, The Bottom, Part 3 of 6, To the Bone. It was released in August 2006. The writer was Charles Huston, artist David Finch, inkers Danny Mickey, Victor Olazaba, and Alan Martinez. The colours were done by Frank D'Amata. Letters were done by Virtual Calligraphy's Joe Caramagna. The editor was Corey Saddlemeyer and Axel Alonso. As Mark visits Frenchie's restaurant, a mysterious group elsewhere gather to witness a presentation on Mark Spector's coloured history. Spector's career in the Marines, his dishonourable discharge, his ultimate move into the private sector as a murder are highlighted and shown to the group. The presentation is soon taken over by a shadowy figure known as Profile, who then goes into meticulous detail of Spector's history of Bushmen and Frenchmen in the, Frenchie in the Egyptian desert. Back at the restaurant, Frenchie greets Mark and although still looking uncomfortable at the situation, Mark is talked into staying for a sit-down meal. Frenchie introduces Mark to Rob, Frenchie's partner, and orders some country omelettes from them both. The profile continues his assessment of Mark Spector and those, the close bond he shared with both Raw Bushman and Frenchie. The trio were a deadly team of mercenaries and were engaged in such jobs as cleaning up loose ends during Desert Storm. They weren't adverse to carrying out some of their own personal jobs, and it was an opportunistic appetite such as this which led them to the Valley of the Kings in an excavation site headed by one Peter Alron. As the profile describes, it was here that the three mercenaries parted ways that Bushman's bloodlust resulted in the death of innocent civilians. Spectre, horrified at Bushman's actions, confronts Bushman but is killed and left for dead, leaving Spectre on the path to Konshu. As Frenchie and Mark finish their mirrors, revealed that Rob is more than just a business partner of Frenchie's, but in fact an actual partner. Mark is shocked and hurt that Frenchie had not told him earlier, and is even more sad at the fact the others, such as Marlene, already knew. Though Frenchie tries to show Mark that he had told him throughout the years, Mark's anger slowly builds and he asks if this is the reason Frenchie invited him to the restaurant. Frenchie reveals that it was not he who invited Mark, but Crawley had mentioned that Mark wanted to see him. Both have been played by their friend in an honest attempt for the two to resolve their differences. The profile reveals that the group profiling Spectre is in fact the committee. The original organisation that, that tried to recruit Moon Knight years ago but failed. It is now headed by the sons and daughter of the original committee members and their plans to succeed where their parents had failed. And that is to bring Moon Knight over to their side. The profile's assessment of Mark Spectre is assured and the profile notes that it was because of Konshu and Mark's multiple personalities that it was difficult to read Spectre. With the influence of Konshu having waned recently in the current state of Spectre, the profile confirms that Spectre is now easily profiled and planned to successfully recruit him can now be carried out. The long-term strategy would be simple. Isolate Spectre, give him a debilitating injury, take away his reason to live, then provide a catalyst to incite him into violent action. With the committee having already isolated Spectre from his friends and having already contracted Bushman to confront Moon Knight, which leads to Spectre's broken legs and drug dependency, all that is left is to provide a catalyst for Moon Knight to return and enter the folds of the committee. Everything seems to be going to plan. 
However, one of the members of the committee, in an attempt to undermine the profile, attempts to take the initiative and has the Duchamp contingency carried out. With the rest of the committee unaware of his actions, the Duchamp contingency involves the neutralisation of the Frenchie of Frenchie Duchamp to eliminate any risk of him as a threat. The contingency is ill-timed and, as the profile points out, by doing so has changed the course of their long-term strategy. Instead of Moon Knight potentially being recruited into the committee, the act of Frenchie being beaten up to an inch of his life has given Spectre a reason to live again, other than the one the committee had planned to give him. As the profile points out, Spectre is resurrected once again by Konshu and reminded again what he loves doing. The committee's long-awaited laid-out plan and effect has been unravelled by the committee members' careless action and the contingency T is then activated. To the profile's dismay, the rest of the committee members bring, the ta- bring in the taskmaster, and after dispatching the careless member who ruined their plans with two pens as deadly projectiles, taskmaster is ready and raring to kill Spectre. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Adam. That was so cool. Uh, thanks to, thanks to, it's so cool to finally have you guys on the show as narrators. Um, totally love your, your podcast, the Inhumans podcast. Recently got, um, the Royals trades to read. Um, basically off the, off the back of, um, uh, a lot of your guys, uh, a lot of the Adelaide rising reviews so um yeah so it's uh, been a real pleasure and i'm always i'm chuffed to to um to have uh, hosts from other great podcasts um take time out and uh, narrate our our humble bare bones so thank you adam um he's got a great one as well that he's reviewed we are looking at the charlie houston and david finch run and um i will unashamedly say it is one of my favorite Moon Knight runs. Um, and with part three of six, which we have here, um, we really get into the nitty gritty of the story. And uh, and look, you know, I don't want to harp too much about it, but um, talking about pacing, and I, I know this is a six-parter, but um, this is a good example of how, you know, what I guess what a part three would be. Uh, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of exposition, I think, um, and there's a nice recap uh, to um, to what we all know as uh, Moon Knight's history with his um, his mercenary days uh, with Bushman and Frenchie. But you also get these interesting characters, like um, and also reveals uh, like the profile and and Taskmaster, and you have actually the reveal of the committee as well. So there's so much in here. Um, needless to say, uh, at the end of this, uh, the Crescent Dart ratings will be quite high, I think. Um, but yeah, look, I'm way ahead of myself. Let's get into it. So after that great narration by Adam, um, I, I started writing some aspects and uh, I think a lot of them, there are a lot more than four, so let's just say that. And I think um, I think some of them overlap uh, with the notes I have as well. Uh, look, first one, I, you know, right off the bat, um, I think we get, an, and what I mentioned, we get a nice presentation of Mark's history again. And I think this is really well done. Um, 
in, in a couple of ways. Um, I love it how it's done via like a slideshow or a PowerPoint presentation uh, by this unknown faction, which we know later to be the committee and the profile. But it's a really great tool and a really great um, technique to actually make a recounting of, of a, a character's history interesting again. So um, we have uh, Asset Prime, which is what they call Mark Spector. And it's uh, it's originally presented by one of the members of the committee, but it's, um, it's then quickly hijacked by the profile who takes over. Um, and yeah, we get, uh, we get a, a retelling of Mark's, um, Mark's mercenary days. And, uh, it was really good to see it. It's kind of, um, in the comic, it's, it's kind of, uh, interspersed with Mark's visit, um, to, to see Frenchie and, and to meet Rob. So, uh, it's a good way again of, of, uh, keeping the interests. So, and, and telling basically two stories at the same time. Um, so it's really cool that you see, uh, you get a glimpse of um, how Mark and Frenchie and Bushman were basically, they're known here as, um, refer here as the Three Musketeers, and uh, these guys are your go-to guys for killers for hire. Um, so they are the, the best of the best, I guess. Um, and yeah, it just recounts um, their travels to the Valley of the Kings, the, the tomb of King Seti II, um, you know, how they meet Marlene and, and uh, her dad, um, Peter Elraine, the senior. Um, but yeah, I think it's a really good way that, um, Houston, what Houston has done to, um, integrate this history, um, into this issue without, uh, yeah, as I mentioned before, without making it a yet another retelling and, you know, it's, um, cause there's only so much you can do that right before it gets a little, a little boring. Um, funnily enough, Lemire did that as well in the uh, second to latest volume, volume eight, and he managed to make it really interesting as well by focusing on, I guess, the smaller aspects of of that event as well. Um, like he focused in on uh, on Bushman and Mark's, I guess, relationship and how they that they kind of. Um, how their ideals and, and morals kind of conflicted. So Lemire did a very clever, um, clever thing, and he focused on other aspects of of the history and origin of Mark. Um, this is pretty much a, a telling, a, a straight out telling of it. Um, but <coughs> as mentioned, um, it's actually um, what what Houston also does is. He integrates the profiles profiling as well into the origins, um, so that gives it a, a bit more, a, a bit of an extra, um, extra dynamic to it. So yeah, the, the first aspect I would totally give to Mark's history presented um, all throughout the, um, all throughout the um, uh, the issue. I'm just wondering whether I should say. Uh, yeah, probably should. No, okay, well, this will lead into, um, this will lead into my other aspect. Uh, and another main aspect of this issue would definitely have to be, uh, a bit more of an elaboration on the profile. So, again, a very mysterious contractor. You see, he works for, uh, the committee, um, and he, 
as he actually presents Mark's history to them, uh, what was very interesting was that he pinpoints that that point where Mark meets someone in the temple, and we know it's Konshu, um, up until that point, the profile says that Mark can easily be profiled. Like, you know, everything's traveling along well. Um, things that you expect him to do, he'd do. Um, you know, uh, he's very readable at that sense. Um, the profile says once this thing happens in the temple, <coughs> it kind of it blurs Spectre's profile. Um, it adds an X factor to, to Spectre's predictability. And, uh, and the profile, um, uh, refers to it as an extra dimensional entity. So, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, whether or not he believes in, in Conchu as a god or not, or from, yeah, he obviously believes it from another dimension. Um, there's, there was some sort of other entity that, um, has made Mark's profile not as straightforward as you'd think. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I thought that was a, I thought that was a really, really great, um, telling of, of the profile. Um, and I really enjoyed how, yeah, how we kind of, as I mentioned before, integrates profiling into the origin of uh, a retelling of Mark's history. It was really good. Um, one of the other main aspects here, it cannot be uh, ignored, is this is the issue where we get the the massive revelation from Frenchie. So as, uh, as Frenchie greets Mark, into the restaurant, um, they get to talking, and um, and uh, Frenchie reveals to Mark that Rob is not just his partner, as in business partner, but is his partner. So um, Mark is understandably, I guess, is a little taken aback. He he never knew this um, this thing from Frenchie, uh, and. Uh, Unfortunately, he doesn't take it too well uh, in the sense that he feels betrayed that Frenchie had kept this from him. I guess these guys were such great mates. Um, and yeah, I think I think he felt a level of betrayal. And the fact that it's not only Frenchie, but Marlene knew as well. Um, so they had kept this secret from him. And uh, yeah, it doesn't go down too well. Um, with the two as well, but I mean, it, what started off as a, as a civil meal um, becomes a a bit of a a bit of a, an argument between the two, and and uh, and they storm off in their separate ways. Um, it, they also discover as well, which doesn't um, make which doesn't you know help the the situation is they find that Crawley is the one that it's actually. Uh, manipulated both of them to to meet up. So I think Crawley mentioned that uh, Frenchie wanted to see him, and uh, and Crawley mentioned to Frenchie that Mark wanted to see him. So that was the only way that Crawley could figure out to to get the two in the same room and to kind of hopefully uh, he had good intentions. Hopefully to discuss um, and come to some sort of resolution. Um, the, there seems to be a bit of a rift that they had anyway. So, um, 
yeah, I mean, Frenchie's revelation, um, although it would have been, I guess, quite a, quite a relief for Frenchie to finally tell Mark, you know, he, he does care for Mark. He mentions, he says, you know, I do, I do love you. Um, it must have been a great sense of relief to Frenchie to, to finally let Mark know, but Mark doesn't really accept, um, or he doesn't really, uh, yeah, take in the information the way that Frenchie would have liked him to. So, um, yeah, a big point in this issue. Um, as mentioned as well, uh, we have also, um, we have the reveal of the committee. So, I don't believe that the committee were um, outed in the in the um, earlier issues. Uh, we just saw a gentleman um, approach the profile to to bring him in, um, and it's this first issue here that we get the sense that this is um, the second generation, I guess, of the committee. So, <clears throat> so a lot of the sons and daughters are, are carrying on um, the. Ideals that their um, their parents had in the committee, which was always kind of a very, um, I don't think it was too well thought out. The committee it was like a, and, and I I believe it was one of the interviews I listened with. I think it was Doug Mensch or Bill Sinkovich. I think it was Doug Mensch. You mentioned how uh, look they were just your generic. You know he hadn't he hadn't given it much thought as to what they'd do. Um, so you see in Werewolf by Night, 32 and 33, that they, you know, they have a plan to capture the werewolf, but, and they're your typical kind of guys in suits, um, that are just have bad plans or evil plans. Um, so they were not much of a, like, compared to Hydra and, and like, uh, AIM, even the Secret Empire, they, uh, they didn't have much, much to them, but I like how Houston reintroduces them here. Um, alongside the profile. So we have one of the classic um, villains or, or adversaries of Moon Knight coupled with a, a very new creation by by Charlie Houston. And uh, I think they work really well, um, albeit that profile pretty much pulls the strings of the committee. Excuse me. <coughs> so... Um, I have got as my aspect number six, um, I have one of the big things here that I thought was um, how the committee goes against, or one of the members of the committee goes against the profile's plan. And what we have here, and what Houston does really well here, is he sets up the profile as um, very strategic, <coughs> very precise, and, uh, sorry... Very uh, precise with what he does. Uh, we know later on he's a mutant, right? So he, his profiling abilities uh, are superhuman. But uh, he has this plan of how to coax. Because what they want to do is they basically, asset prime, um, they, they want to do what their parents did. They want to actually um, bring Moon Knight back into the committee's fold and... I don't know, be their head head of security or be their their assassin. So anyway, the profile with his ability to profile Mark can manipulate <coughs> Moon Knight or Mark into such a way as to have him finally um finally um you know, lean on the committee 
as a place to go and and a uh, an entity to, to to be part of. Um, what has happened though is that unfortunately one of the committee members goes off on his own without consulting the profile and he initiates a plan or a contingency on Mark Spector which has disastrous results for all of the profile's planning. So I've got here... <clears throat> I've got here... Um, the page where the uh, the profile, um, and I just want to read this out to you, where the profile describes how his plan will come together. Um, so he says, um, but why dwell on your father's failures, no matter how spectacular? Let us rather focus on the current asset initiative and asset prime, which is Mark Spector. Once something of a heavy hitter in the vigilante community, the years have not been kind to him. He passed out of his prime, lost his joie de vivre. Simultaneously, inexplicably, the entity's influence waned, referring to Konshu. His vision cleared. Profiling could take place. Accurately profiled, any potential asset can be given a new reason to live. And a reason to live is what Asset Prime craves. So this is Mark at his most vulnerable. So how do you give him your reason? A long-term strategy is best. First, you prod him to isolate himself from his remaining means of support. How? Hire a nemesis. Arrange a debilitating injury. That will do the trick. Self-pity and chemical dependence set in. Never healthy for an ageing athlete's self-worth and interpersonal relationships. Let him stew in those juices for a good long time. Two years will do. So we see here that the profile and the committee have actually executed this to Mark. And it gives a sense of connection to uh, his encounter with Bushman. It's all been premeditated. It's all been part of a bigger plan. Um, he goes on and says, Eventually provide a catalyst, an incitement to violent action things will move very quickly after that <clears throat> and what Houston does here is very cool he um he he actually intersperses this narrative with what actually happens and uh what actually happens railroads this meticulous plan of the profile so um the profile and the committee have been working away at Moon Knight up until a point. <clears throat> and we find out that one of the members of the committee has unfortunately initiated a contingency um, that will steer Mark away from the path that they want him to lead, they want to lead him towards. Um, and so the contingency is, of course, um, a thug comes in and beats savagely Frenchie. Um, he knocks out his partner Rob and he beats Frenchie with his own um, prosthetic legs. This of course um, uh, motivates Mark into action and it actually leads him towards the path of Moon Knight. Um, he, he finds the thug who's just kind of pissing in the alley and in a again very graphic um, way he um, incapacitates him. Uh, basically, he runs a, a blade through the guy's mouth, 
leaves him kind of holding his face in the alley. Yeah, so, um, so this contingency, which was done uh, against the profiles or unaware, uh, the profile was unaware of, um, actually leads Mark towards, uh, actually leads him towards the path of a vengeful hero again. So we see the profile's plans come apart. And I think this is the, the biggest thing um, to come, uh, the biggest aspect, I guess, out of this issue. So very, very cool issue here. Um, a lot of things happening here. I've got some notes here, so I'll try to cover all the other little points, little cool things here. Um, I did like the humour. In, in a, Again, uh, without saying sorry, I should say first the art I think was fantastic. I loved it. I loved it. Um, there was a bit of humour in here as well. Um which I thought was really cool. Uh, so to kind of break the the tension a bit, there's a little page here where um, the profile uh, predicts the reactions of all the committee members, um, and he gets it right. Uh, what does he say? He says, within seconds of my finishing this statement, you will reach for a pack of cigarettes you no longer smoke. You will say, humph. You will nervously pick your nose, and you will arch your eyebrow at me in a rather provocative manner. And then you see a panel of how the profile sees them, all these squiggly um, um, texts of information, and they do exactly that. So there's a little bit of humour in it amongst all this darkness, um, but only a very little. But I found that very timely um, to just, you know, it, it's great to just kind of relieve, release the pressure um, of the tension of the story. Uh, the other thing, the other little note was the graphic violence of this issue. So similar to the previous issues, especially when we saw Moon Knight fight Bushman, we get a rather, rather violent, um, rather violent images here of, um, the two main ones being when Frenchie is beaten. Uh, you don't see much, but there's a lot of blood. Like you see a lot of blood, and a lot of a lot of things are implied as well. So, uh, Frenchie's struck down, and then you just see uh, pictures of the prosthetic leg come down uh, in between blood panels, and the panels are done really well. Actually, it's kind of almost like a shard of glass. Um, so again, uh, full credit to the layouts of, uh, of David Finch here, and of course his art. So, uh, yeah, so graphic violence was was a big thing. Um, also, as well, I'd like to, uh, another big thing, apart from Frenchie's revelation of uh, his sexuality, uh, we meet Rob for the first time. Rob being Frenchie's partner, not only business partner, but partner in life. So uh, Rob actually returns for a bit uh, in the later, later run of Houston, and I think in Benson, I'm not sure, but he does pop up here and there. So um, yeah. So we meet Rob, the partner. He's actually he ends up. I think he's the um, he's kind of like the physio to Mark as well. So Mark trains in the gym, and I think later on, um, I think with art by Miko Suyin, he uh, he kind of rehabilitates Mark's knees. Um, yeah, and what do we have here? We also have 
yeah, as I mentioned, uh, little notes here that Mark feels betrayed by Frenchie and Marlene for not being told of, of Frenchie's um, sexuality. So that was discussed just a little earlier. Oh, this issue also has the iconic Moon Knight shot. And uh, for those with the digital version, version, <laughs> um, it's fantastic. Uh, again, it's unfortunate because uh, in the trades, and I'm sure in the comics as well, you get the spine coming down the middle, which, um, yeah, which is a bit of a shame because it's such a beautiful piece of art here. Uh, look, some people, as as um, as we've uh, spoken with Rebecca and Connor before, some people aren't really into this hyper-muscled, hyper-toned art of David Finch, but I think it really works for this hero shot for sure. With Moon Knight on top of a gargoyle with tattered cape, and, and full moon in the background. And lastly, for notes, I cannot not say this, uh, and I know one of our loonies, uh, Sparky Malarkey, um, would surely reproach me if I didn't. We have Contingency T, which is none other than the last page reveal of the Taskmaster. So this... Uh, Again, for me, this kind of really goes up a gear in this issue because you now have this sense of an impending um, collision course between Moon Knight and Taskmaster, who, let's face it, is an awesome, awesome villain uh, or anti-hero, depending on how you see him. But he's introduced by... He dispatches the um, the committee member that was foolish enough to go against Profile's planning, and uh, he ends up with two ballpoint pens uh, in the eyes. Well, they could be fountain pens, I don't know. Whichever is the sharper object. And uh, he meets a grisly death, yet yet more graphic violence. And, uh, and then we see, as he is slumped on the desk, blood everywhere, we see Tarski. And he uh, it looks very similar to Moon Knight in the fact that he's got he's got the hood, and he has the cape as well. But uh, we all know he is a master of all forms of uh, hand-to-hand combat. Uh, he can emulate anyone's fighting style. Uh, and I think later on, this is where we hear that he he's not really keen on taking on Moon Knight's fighting style because Moon Knight just prefers to take the blow rather than defend himself. Um, so anyway, that leads us to issue four, and that will be for our next review. So very exciting stuff there. Um, yeah, and that concludes issue three. So I guess I'd better go into Crescent Dart ratings. Well, I would have to give this, I'd have a good four and a half Crescent Dart ratings out of five. You know, this for me is, is right up there with a lot of the best Moon Knight issues, uh, on offer. Um, I, I am a sucker for the art. Um, I like the balance of, of violence and action, of uh, exposition, but also of a little bit of humour as well. Uh, and yeah, um, it's a this is a big issue, like where where Frenchie comes out basically, and and we get the committee back, um, but we really see uh, we really see the um, the inner workings of the profile, and the profile is a very interesting uh, villain. So. Um, I would really like to see him back um, in, in some form, uh, either in Max Bemis's run or a later volume down the track. But very good. Four and a half Crescent Dart ratings. I highly urge you, loonies who haven't read it, um, it's available on uh, on 
Digital, uh, Marvel Unlimited as well, uh, the trades, if you can get your hands on the trades, and of course in uh, floppies or single issues. Highly recommend it. Um, it is a fantastic read and really a pretty to look at. So there you go, loonies. Um, with Ray here in the cockpit of the moon copter. Uh, I've gone through a classic and modern run for you. I hope you've enjoyed it. It was actually a lot of fun talking. Sorry for the... Um, I got a bit of a hairy throat there. I think it was just... I think, uh, yeah, just, just talking non-stop has kind of worn my throat out. But, uh, no, thank you so much for listening. Um, and before I, you know, before I sign off, of course, uh, next phase, ooh, next phase, we have a doozy for you, loonies. Next phase, um, and it is an extra long weekend for us over here with, uh, with Easter coming up. Um, yeah, next phase, we will have two big issues. So we will have uh, a Damnation tie-in review, which will, will be the Scarlet Spider, issue 16. And we'll hopefully have, again, some special guests on the show to help us review and discuss um, that tie-in book for Damnation. Looking forward to that. That comes out this Wednesday. And also, oh my gosh, we've got Moon Knight Volume 9, Issue 193, the last part to Crazy Runs in the Family. That's coming out this week as well. So plenty to talk about. And uh, I've discussed this with Connor before I um, took off in the in the copter. Um, and I think since these are two really big issues, they're going to have to be standalone episodes. So um, keep your eyes out. We might, um, you know, they might not run for hours on end. Uh, or they might, but uh, we'll hopefully release two separate episodes, um, one for each of the comics, uh, comic book issues released this week. Um, so they're they're pretty big. The the last the last part to Crazy Runs in the Family that will kind of wrap up that first arc, and and of course Damnation are um, continuing our um, podcast crossover with the other guys. Um, yeah, so stay tuned for that. With our Spectacle, which is our shout-out section, again, I would love to thank Doc and Adam from the Adelaide Rising podcast. Thank you so much for your narration. Um, I'm sure Connor as well, he thanks you so much as well. Um, you know, thousands of feet below as I fly high in the copter. Yeah, no, really great. Uh, thank you so much. Um, and you can catch these guys on any good podcast catches. I, um, I check them out on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or... Um, or Overcast, but they're on all these other ones as well. Um, and their website is www.atalanrising.com. So Atalan, A-T-T-I-L-A-N, rising, all one word, dot com. They're also on Facebook. They've got a Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Atalan Rising Podcast, all one word. Um, they're very present on Twitter, and that's at Atalan Rising One. So just type that in for them. Um, and as mentioned before, they're also on the collective. So um, I'll put up the link to our blog site, which has all uh, the links and Twitter links to all the members of the collective. So, um, yep, they're part of the collective. And um, they're, once again, Adam, um, you know, building it up brick by brick. So uh, really thankful for Adam for, uh, for bringing us all together. 
Um, also, don't forget to check out the next instalment of our Epic Damnation podcast crossover event. That's a mouthful. Uh, between the guys at Inner Demons, a Ghost Rider podcast, uh, Sons of the Dragon, the Immortal Iron Fist podcast, and Defenders TV podcast, which will who they have been uh, they've been covering the Doctor Strange uh, aspects of the crossover. Um, I will put a link also again in the show notes to show <coughs> a special schedule that will let you know which podcast does which uh, comic book issue. Um, so, and they'll also have links there to uh, the episodes. So, you know, parts one to, I think parts one to five, um, which were done by the Immortal Iron Fist podcast, Defenders TV podcast, and ourselves. They're all there. Um, part six, which will be the Damnation three issue, that will be reviewed by the Inner Demons, a Ghost Rider podcast, and part seven, um, which will be the tie-in of the Iron Fist uh, issue number seventy-eight. Uh, understandably, that will be reviewed by Sons of the Dragon, the Immortal Iron Fist podcast. So please be sure to check that out. Um, as mentioned, in the long weekend coming as well, we'll be releasing part eight, which will be the um, Scarlet Spider tie-in. <clears throat> Well, loonies, just before I lose my voice, uh, that pretty much wraps us up for this episode. Thank you so much for listening to my, I don't know, my uh, my tone of voice, which uh, has been known to send people to sleep. So I hope you have made it this far. Um, as always, you can find us on email at moonnightpodcast at gmail.com. We have a blog site. Uh, which is into the night podcast.wordpress.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook with a page, facebook.com slash ITK Moon Knight. And a, we have a Facebook group with a lot of fun and really supportive and, uh, just really out and out nice people, um, nice loonies. And that's at facebook.com slash groups slash into the night. So I'd like to just shout out quickly uh, all the loonies out there. Thanks so much for, yeah, for, for sharing your thoughts and uh, all for the newer members as well. Uh, thanks so much for joining. Uh, we're also on Twitter, at ITK Moonlight, And uh, we also have an Instagram, Tumblr, and YouTube page. Um, so that's always updated. Just search for Into the Night with a K, a Moon Knight podcast. You should be able to find us. Well, that about wraps it up tonight. I am going to try and release this episode as soon as I can. Uh, thanks so much, Salunis. Um, I'm heading off to have another glass of water. But uh, yeah, as always, may Conchu watch over the denizens of the night. Catch you later. Moon Knight and affiliated characters, stories and events are properties of Marvel Characters Incorporated. Materials used and discussed within the podcast are intended for critique and review purposes only under the fair dealing concept of the current Copyright Act. The views, information or opinions expressed during the podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the copyright owners.